Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25. It was interesting, I thought, when, uh, at least in one of the services, when Pastor Hagen was speaking, I think it was uh, Tuesday night, he talked about the anointing, and that the anointing has been given to every one of us. And that's another word for the grace. In fact, he came up to me at the end of the night. He said, I had several people say, this is along the same lines you've been teaching them. And I believe it was just confirmation to me as well as it was to him that we're, we're hearing from the Holy Spirit, that there is something God wants to say to us. There are many voices out there, the Bible tells us, and none of them without some significance. But the voice that ought to have the greatest, the ultimate significance in our lives is the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to us. Because you stop and realize that God knows everything. We know very little. In fact, on our own, we know nothing. God knows everything. He knows everything that's going to happen. I was in here praying the other day, yesterday, Friday, I think it was, and saying, God, you know what lies ahead for this church and for these people. Prepare us. Prepare us for what is to come. That we may not be taken by surprise. That we may be equipped and ready. Because you put us here at this time. And you put us here for a purpose. Now equip us and prepare us for that. And so, it, so it's the voice of God, I believe, that's speaking to us and awakening us and in breathing in us and instilling in us and touching in us things He's already... I believe God's already put... I know God's already put things in each one of us and what we're looking for is by the Word of God for the Spirit to take that Word and ignite it in you, ignite it in us and ignite it in us together. So it's just confirmation to me. And then... Uh, uh, Lynette Hagan, I think it was on one of the mornings, talked along the same lines, that God has a purpose for your life. And true happiness, true contentment comes in finding that purpose and in enduing that purpose. And that's really what we've been studying. So we've gone back and looked in Ephesians 4 and seen that we are, we are the body of Christ. We are part of His body on the earth today. And even what's on the earth today is only part of His body because part of it's already gone on before. But we are a part of His body in Faith Christian Center, we're a portion of His body on the earth today. And He has a will. There are things that God wants to accomplish that are, that are passionate in His heart. And He has decided for whatever reason to use us to do it. And we are partners with Him. And so His body is to work together to carry out His will. And so we've seen then that God has given to each one of us at least one gift, some grace, something that's been given to you and an equipment so that you can carry out what God has called you to do. And it's a matter of just discovering it. We've gone through a list of some, some a sampling that the Bible talks about of different types of gifts, the kind that God can give you. And some of them we've seen are, very, are, are more obvious, such as when you're, it's a pulpit ministry or something like that. But some of them are, very, are not so obvious, but they're just as important. One of them is the, is the gift of encouragement. And we've talked about what encouragement means. It's to literally to come alongside and lift somebody up and help them along in their journey. So just when you put your arm around somebody, pick up a phone and call somebody. I sent an email to somebody the other day just to encourage them because I know they're going through a struggle and they're not even here. They're in another part of the world. And just to encourage them. It's interesting because one of the things we did in here is, is when, they, when we, they came into this area, the Hagans, is we, uh, we are, this church is... Uh, the founding pastor, Pastor Sam, was a graduate of the f- first class there. Pastor Reyes graduated from there. I've graduated from there. My wife's graduated from there. Uh, Monica Liberty's graduated from there. We have some others. And, and so the roots of this church go back into that ministry, and I've talked about that before. But one of the things we did is we, we invited other graduates of that school to come here, and we gave a luncheon for them on Tuesday and a chance for Pastor Hagen to speak to them and some of the others. 
And one of the things that, we, that was being talked about more than any is how much we need each other. How much, especially when you're getting into pastoring and things like that, you get so focused on your church, we forget we need each other. And so it's that same theme again, that we're part of one body. And so we've seen that ministry is something we're all given to do. And it's not some, some exalted profession. What it is is it just means service. It literally means a table waiter. And so we came over last week into Matthew 25, and we began to look at one parable. But we're really going to, and we're going to pick up with that today. But there's a context here because th- this chapter, and of course, it's not was not originally written in chapters, but this is a discourse that Jesus is going. There's three parables that Jesus is using here, and understand, Jesus taught in parables because Jesus was the, a master teacher, the master teacher. So his method is is effective, and he just tells simple stories. And what happens is. From that story, you'll begin to glean principles. And so these three stories are, the first story was the story of the ten virgins. And they come preparing for the bridegroom to come, waiting for him, and they all have lamps in their hands. But five of them brought the oil, because the, the lamp won't work without the oil. Five of them brought the oil, and the other was in such a hurry, they came without the lamps, figuring we'll get the oil later on. And it said, after a long time, the bride said they didn't know when he was going to come. But when he came, he came unexpectedly, and those who already had the oil were prepared to go into the feast with him because they had the lamp, and the lamp could be lit and burned. And the others who only had the lamp and didn't have the oil, they couldn't go in because they didn't have a lamp to go in with. So they tried to borrow the oil from the others, and the other says, you know, we need this oil. It's interesting because oil so often represents in the Bible the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So one of the lessons we can take from that is how important it is to be able to flow in and operate under the anointing of the Spirit, especially in the day in which we are in. But the, one of the points of this parable that Jesus is telling is you don't know when he's going to come. You don't, so to be ready. The next parable, and I believe these parables all fit together to give us a lesson. The next parable is the one that we read last week. It's, of course, the parable of the talents. And so I want to read down here in Matthew chapter 25. We'll start in verse 14 and read through it quickly because I'm going to go on to the third one today. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country who called his own servants and delivered to them his goods. So the first thing we see is what the master gave to his servants were goods that were owned by the master. They were his goods and he entrusted them to his servants. And to one he gave five talents, that's a measure of money, to another two and to another one, to each one according to his ability. So one of the things that we saw last week is we saw that the master understands the ability of his servants and he's given to them these talents or these gifts in accordance with the ability that they have to handle them. And, of course, the parallel here that we're looking at is that God has given to us gifts. And those are some of the gifts that we've gone through and looked at in Romans chapter 12. And and we've looked at in 1 Peter chapter 4. So God has given to each one of us at least one gift. And that's like the master here who has entrusted a talent or, or a gift to each of his servants. But he did it with the full knowledge of what they were capable of handling. That tells us that what God has entrusted to you, He already has determined that you can handle it. Now, we've said He doesn't say what they thought they could handle. He doesn't say He gave to them what they wanted to handle. 
He doesn't say he gave to them what they were comfortable with. He doesn't even ask them what he's going to give them. He knows what they can handle, and he gives to them according to their ability. So to one he gives five, to another he gives two, and to another he gives one. Verse 16, Then he who received the five talents went and traded them with them and made five other talents. Now to trade something, and this is going to become important, to trade something means you take what is already in your possession and you give it up in exchange for something that you consider is more valuable that you want back. I mean, don't look at me. You all know. Just get down to earth. Anybody ever been to a store? Anybody ever buy anything in a store? Of course you have. You go there and what you have in your hand is money. And you look at that dress or that shirt or that tie or, or that whatever, radio or whatever it is, and you decide that what the store owns is worth more to you than what you have in your possession. So when you put your $20 down for that shirt, you've decided that that shirt is worth to you at least more than the $20 because you're willing to exchange the shirt, the $20 for the shirt, but you may get it home, try it on, decide you don't like it, and then realize I made a bad deal. So there's a risk involved. So you're going to take something that's already in your possession, you're going to let go of it with the hope that you're going to get something back of more value, but there's a risk involved in letting it go. This is what's involved in the word traded. That's going to become important because we're going to see one of the servants didn't trade. Well, let's go on and take a look. So the servant with the five traded with them and made five ta- another five talents. So he ends up with ten. Likewise, he had received two, gained two more. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with him. So we've seen that the Lord will come back. And he will come back. And when he comes back, he's going to settle accounts. Now, we're not talking about your salvation. We're not talking about whether God loves you. We're not talking about your standing before God. But understand this. There's more to our relationship with God than just being His children. There's more than our relationship with God than being saved and being part of the family of God. God has something He wants done. And He's entrusted part of that to you and to me and to this church together. And that is what He will come back for and ask for an accounting of what did you do with what I entrusted to you. And we've learned from the first parable, we don't know when he's coming back. Which means we need to live our life ready today as if he's coming back today. So we can't say, well, I don't need to worry about this right now because he's not going to come back for another 10 years. Or you know, I read somebody's book that says it's going to be 5 years. Someone says 10 years. We don't know. In fact, if you read your Bible carefully, Jesus doesn't know. So if he doesn't know, I don't know why Brother Doodad knows. Or Sister Whatchamacallit. All we know is he's coming back and his warning is to be ready as if it's today, to be prepared. So the third servant who had given one talent went and dug a hole and put it in the ground. And we see that the Lord came back, verse 20. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me 
Five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. We talked about the fact that what you're doing with with what he's entrusted to you is training and preparation for what he's going to give you to do in the next life. Because there will be things to do. There will be work. There will be things to accomplish. And so he's teaching us here that what you're learning by taking what God's given to you and you're exercising it and taking care of it and developing it and using it is you're developing what he calls faithfulness. Because what this master rewards is faithfulness with what he entrusted to them. And that faithfulness with the little matter that was entrusted to them is earning for them the master's confidence to entrust greater riches to them in the next life. And what you do with the gift God's given to you and how you view it and how you take care of it and how you exercise it is preparing you for, is developing in you this faithfulness which God wants to use in the next life. So it's up to you how much God can use you then. And I want to just warn you, then is forever. It's forever. It's forever. And so the first servant came and has doubled what the master gave him. And the master says to him, Well done. That's what I live for, to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You've been faithful over a few. I will make you ruler over many. See, we want to be rulers, but God wants to develop faithfulness. Because we've understood that the steward, stewardship automatically means it's not yours. It belongs to somebody else and has been entrusted to you for their benefit to be used the way they want to do it. Well, let's go on and look at the others. Verse 22. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. Now notice he starts out with an excuse. With the first two who had taken what the master entrusted to them, they don't make any excuses. They simply come and report the facts of what they have done with what he gave them. The servant who put a, the, the talent that he had in the ground starts out with an excuse. And his excuse is based on what he thinks the master's like. Now, I've seen this before somewhere in the Bible. I think I've seen it all the way back in the beginning. 
when God put into Adam's hands and entrusted to him a garden to take care of and to cultivate and develop and watch over and then entrusted to him a helpmate to protect and to guide, to guard and to govern. And that man is the one that allowed the serpent to come in and speak to his wife because he was there with her. And God shows up on the scene and asks for an accounting. There's a pattern here. What happened? Where are you? Now, God never asks questions to get information because he already knows the answer. So he's asking questions because he wants to bring something out. And he finds the man he put in charge hiding. Men have been hiding ever since. And when God calls him out and asks for accounting of what's happened, notice what he says. The woman you gave me. So what Adam is saying is this. There are only three of us here. And I don't know whether it's her or you. All I know is it's not my fault. She gave it to me to eat and you gave her to me. So instead of answering the question directly and facing up to the responsibility, he starts with an excuse that ultimately has to do with something about God. And here we see this servant doing the same thing. He said, I knew you to be a hard master, reaping where you've not sown. So I went and did the safe thing. I preserved for you what you wanted. I dug it and put it in the ground, and here it is back to you. Notice the first two servants didn't say anything about the master. If he was that way, you'd think they would have been afraid of him also. But there's no evidence that they were afraid of him. Now look at what the master's response is. Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. Notice what he doesn't say. He said, oh, I'm sorry you didn't understand what I was like. You misunderstood me. I'm so sorry. Let's spend some time together and I'll teach you that I'm not like that. No, the master saw right through it. Because look what he goes on and says. Verse 27. So you ought have... He said... You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. He's not saying here, that's what I'm really like. He's saying, if that's what you believed about me, then this is what you should have done. Look at verse 28, 27. So you should have deposited my money with bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. In other words, he's saying, look, if you really believe that about me, if you really were afraid of me that I reap things that I didn't sow, then what you should have done is take it and put it in the bank. That would have been safe. There's no risk involved there. Then you could have given it back to me with interest. You didn't do this because you were afraid of me. You did it because you're wicked and lazy. Ooh. Jesus wouldn't have made a good pastor. He was not politically correct. He was not diplomatic. 
but he was Lord. And he is the truth. And he is the way. And he is the life. And he got right to the point. He said, look, the issue is you're lazy. You're lazy. Because if you really believe that about me, what you would have done is you would have taken it and put it in a bank. Because then it's safe. There's no risk. And at least you could have given it back to me with interest. But you put it in the ground because you were lazy. I was reading through this last week and meditating on it. dawned on me, even what Jesus was telling to him to do if he was really afraid of him, was a very different transaction than what the other two did. The other two bargained with it. They took the talent and they exchanged it for something that was twice of value. And as we already mentioned, there's a risk involved in exchanging. There's a risk involved. You've got to let go of what you have. See, to put it in a bank, there's no risk in most cases because the bank's going to guarantee you're going to get that back. So there's no risk you're not going to get that back, but you're only going to get interest on it. You won't get multiplication. You won't take five talents and get back ten. You'll get a little bit of interest because there's little risk. But with the first two, they did things with what he had given them that involved some risk. Now, let's just be very honest with each other. We don't like risk. Well, let me put this. I'll be honest with you. I don't like risks. I like to do things that are safe, that are tried and true and tested. I've got a good idea of how it's going to come out, and then I'll venture out into it. But here we see that those men that did what God wanted them to do with it took a risk. They took a chance. But the result was they, mo- they doubled what had been given to them. I suggest to you that to take the gift God's given you and do what God wants to do with it will involve some risk. Something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, maybe more than a little uncomfortable. Everyone know what a comfort zone is? Look around you. You've got blue chairs around you. That's your comfort zone. I mean, we had the choice to sit where we wanted to sit. You could have sat. Now, some of you are sitting next to each other. But, but most of you are sitting next to people you always sit next to. See, I sit up, stand up here and take attendance every Sunday. That's why I'm glad you sit in the same seats. Uh, we like to be comfortable. We like our own comfort zone, you know, our own routines. And I find the older I get, the more I like the same routines. I like to be in my house. Da, da, da. So I have to fight that. I have to make myself do things that are not necessarily comfortable because you just kind of settle in and become lazy. Turn with me to John chapter 12. Keep your finger here because we're coming back. Or keep something there because we're coming back here. John chapter 12. Oh, let's start in verse 23. What's happened before this is some Greeks came to Philip and they said, you know, show us the master. And so Philip told Andrew, and Andrew in turn went to Philip, and Philip went and told Jesus, there's some Greeks here that want to meet you. Jesus answered and said to them, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Look at, verse, look at these next few verses. 
Most assuredly, I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Okay, that's a nice principle. Lord, thank you. Well, now he brings it home. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Now, it doesn't mean that you turn on yourself and beat yourself up. What he's talking about, this, is willing to let go of your life. Well, let's read the last verse, and then we'll talk about what he's saying here. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Now, we're talking about serving him, aren't we? We're talking about serving the Lord. I mean, the church is his body, so serving the church is serving him. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. So right there we see you cannot serve the Lord, you cannot serve him apart from a relationship with him. How did he begin the disciples' service when he found them? Did he say to them, Philip, Andrew, Matthew, come and join my team? No. Did he say to them, Philip and Andrew, Nathaniel, Matthew, John, James, come and join this movement I'm starting. No. He just said, Ron, come, follow me. He invited them into a relationship with him that would take them wherever he was going. And and some of the accounts that we have of their responses, they walked away from their business. Now, we have some evidence that they didn't abandon it, because when he was crucified, they went back to it. So it wasn't like they just let it go to, to you know, fall apart. What they did was they maybe put it in other people's hands, but they came and put him first. Amen. So when he's talking about hating your life, he doesn't mean turn on yourself and get a bad self-image. What he's talking about, he's talking about not loving your life, what is your life, above loving him and his service. Amen. So he says... If you're going to be my disciple, then you're going to have to come and follow me personally. Make a personal commitment to me. Now, from our study, we can understand why, because it is his body we've been made part of. So whatever part of that body you are, it's part of his body, and he's the head. That's the part he is. So you got here today because your feet and your hands and your knees and your arms and your legs followed what your head decided to do. So he's saying, if you're going to be part of my body, then you have to start by coming and following me, the head. And you have to learn to hate your life. In other words, value me and the body more than your own self. And your own identity. I think I shared with you a few weeks ago, years ago, I was watching some Christian program on TV. And I won't make a comment about Christian programs on TV, but I don't watch many of them. And, and, and this person was on there giving their testimony. and They've been studying books and going back through their genealogy. And, and they said, I'm on a quest to find myself. I rose right out of my chair. I mean, I'm just, I, I don't get 
upset. I pointed my finger. I was mad. I pointed my finger at the TV, and I said, the whole idea is you're to lose yourself, not find yourself. Jesus said if you find your life, if you hold on to your life in this life, you'll lose it. Let's go on and see what he says. If anyone serves me, notice, not my church serves me, let him follow me where I and where I am, there the servant will be also. If anyone serves me, me, him, my father, will honor. So here's the principle Jesus is teaching his disciples, and you can go back to Matthew 25. One of the principles of the kingdom of God is whatever you hold on to in this life, you will lose. Whatever you give up to him, you will gain. So here we see two servants. The master entrusted to them something that was of value to him that belonged to the master and entrusted it to them to increase. Two of them took those talents and took the risk of sowing them, letting them go, so that what they let go of died to them. When you buy that shirt, you hand them the $20, you've died to that $20. It's no longer yours. If you get home and all you can do is think about how much this cost and you're thinking about that $20 and what else I could have done, you didn't let go of it yet. I've had people say, oh, you gave up the law practice. What a terrible sacrifice. I never thought of it in those terms. Because if it's a sacrifice, then I didn't let it go. I'm still getting something out of it. My life does not belong to me. So when the Lord said to me, what I want you to do is to leave that and enter into full-time ministry, what ro- my life belongs to him. That's not a sacrifice. It's obedience. It's not a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice if it was mine and I unwillingly gave it up. Because in a sacrifice, you remember what it costs. The memory's still there. When they sacrificed the animals on the brazen altar, they could still smell the animal burning. There's some people that have given up things and they can still smell what it was like. And they remember what it was like, which means they haven't given it up yet. They're still holding on to the memory of it. It may be a relationship. It may be something you've done in the past. It may be something you have. It may be something that you've given to God. And you're still remembering it. You're still wishing you still had it. You haven't given it. You don't have possession of it anymore, but you haven't given it. Your heart still has a hold of it. So Jesus is telling, teaching us that, that in order for what we've, God's given to us to bear fruit we have to be willing to sow it into the ground. Now, that farmer has that seed in his hand. Whether he's bought the seed or the seed came from last year's harvest, however he's got it, he's got it in his hands. He can see it and touch it. It's his. It's safe in his hands. But it doesn't do any good in his hands. He can't eat the seed. He, can't, he may be able to sell it. But what he's learned is if I take that seed and if I put it in the ground, I let go of it. 
I take what I have control over and possession of, and I take and I let go of it, and I put it in the ground. And I take the risk that it may never come up and I may never find it again, but I put it in the ground and now I water it and I let nature take its work on it. I understand that if I do that, what's likely to happen is that thing will take root, it will begin to grow. In days from now, weeks from now, it will break through the ground. And if I let it go and I cultivate it, it's going to grow up and it's going to produce a stalk that's going to have many years of corn on it. And every year of corn is going to have many, many seeds on it. Because the kingdom of God works on the principle of seed time and harvest. You see that back to the law of Genesis. The law of Genesis, I take what I have and I sow it. In other words, I entrust it to God. I take what I have in my hands, which I can see, which I don't need any faith to, to, to have. I got it in my hands. But to take that and now purposefully give it to God for his use and let it go, I'm entrusting it to him to multiply it back to me. That's one of the purposes of the tithe. The tithe to us is like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to Adam. God gave him the garden, said it's yours, take care of it, but there's one tree you can't eat of. There's several reasons why he picked that tree but it was a reminder to him, I don't own this. I'm entrusted with it. The tithe is a reminder to you that everything you have has been given to you by God. So what he, what he, what he requires is you take the first tenth, and the Bible calls that holy, which means it belongs to him. And he's in, he could be like the government that doesn't entrust you, so it takes it out of your paycheck. It's called the withholding tax. Before you get, they don't give you a chance to give it. They take it because they don't trust you. God trusts you. He says, here, here's what I'm blessing you with this week. And what I'm expecting is you take that first tenth and recognize that's mine. It's a reminder that I'm your source, not you. And I'm entrusting it to you to see what you do with that, to see if you'll sow it back to me. And if you do, I've made all kinds of promises of what I'll do. Because when you do that, I see you trust me. And you put your reliance upon me and not upon yourself. Same principle. Sowing and reaping. It's to take what God's given to you and be willing to let it go. Sow it. But Jesus is teaching them this principle. If you do that, what will happen is it will germinate and it will create life that's multiplied. So what is that, how does that relate to us? God's given to each of you some kind of gift for his service. And we've gone through some of them. That gift belongs to him just as you do. God has entrusted that to you. But how you choose to handle it will fit into one of these categories of one of these servants. Two of them recognized the responsibility. They weren't wicked and they weren't lazy. So they took them and they were willing to take the risk of letting them go into someone's service, of entrusting them to somebody. And because of that, God multiplied back to them a hundredfold. So they had something to present. The one that was wicked and lazy simply took what he had and made sure it was safe and 
hit it in the ground. What are you doing with the gift that God's entrusted to you? What are you doing with the gift that God has entrusted to you? It's His gift that He has put in you because they're people that God wants to use that gift to touch. He today already knows who He wants to use you to touch or affect in many possible different ways. But that gift will never germinate, will never produce a harvest if you're not willing to let it go and put it into His hands to operate. And there's a risk involved. It may put you... I remember when I was first saved and I wanted to submit to God. I'm saying, God, I'm afraid to submit to you. You might send me to some foreign country as a missionary. God, you might, you know, you might make me do something I don't want to do. Well, first of all, God's not stupid. He's going to put in you the desire to do it before He sends you there. Because He doesn't want to have to deal with you. Now, you may, you may not recognize the desire. You may fight the desire. But He's going to put the desire in you. He'll put the gift in you. He'll put the desire in you. That's as far as He can go. It's up to you to choose to use it. But to use it may involve stepping out into things that are not comfortable for you. That's like the servants who were willing to take the risk and let it go. But he was pleased with them. The one he was not pleased with was the one who did the safest possible thing. He buried it in the ground where it could be of no value to anyone. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Are we going to look forward to His coming back? Because we have something to return to Him and we can say, Lord, look, the gift you've given to me, this is what I did with it. Or are we going to cringe at His coming back because we know we're going to have to go dig it up in the ground because we're going to have to give it back to Him because it's not ours. And we're going to have to show Him it's covered with dirt because I hid it because I was lazy. We may have good reasons, but He sees through to the motive of our hearts. God loves us. There's no condemnation, but there is an accounting. And it's because God's heart and passion is to reach people that He wants to reach through you. I want to start the next parable. We're not going to get into it today because it's tied into this. And I want you to see the tie. You may want to read over it during the next week. I just want to read the next parable because they're connected together. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, so we're talking about Him coming back and asking, what did you do with what I gave you? And all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And the king will say to those on his right hand, uh, excuse me, and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Verse 34. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here's why. Here's how he separated them. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer to him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. There's more to that which we'll get into next week. How is this connected to the first one? Because the reason that the master has entrusted to you the gift that he's entrusted to you is his heart and his passion is to feed people that are hungry, to bind up wounds, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, to meet people's needs. God cares about people. Things he uses to take care of people. The streets of heaven are paved with gold. Stuff doesn't mean anything to God. But people mean everything to him. And as I've shared with you over the last few weeks, sometimes when I get up here and I'm ministering this, I can begin to feel the heart of God as he hears the cries of people this morning, lonely and hurting and scared. He hears their cries. Has he prepared you and me to go and be the answer, to speak through us, to take their hand and hold their hand, phone call, whatever your gift is, to use your gift to meet their needs. Because, see, what we see in the story is he sees their needs as his needs. So we come to church and we lift our hands and we want to minister to God and we want God to feel blessed and that's, that's wonderful. But it's interesting in Isaiah, and we'll probably talk about this next week, he says, you've been fasting and you've been worshiping me and you've been saying wonderful things about me with your mouth. But let me tell you, here's the fast that I want. When you visit the hungry, the the weak, the widows, when you feed the hungry, when you meet people's needs, that's the fast. See, a fast means I'm giving something up that I want to do for his sake. So it's not just food, although fasting technically is food. But if you give up, maybe you'd rather watch television. God's prompting you to get on the phone and call somebody prompting you to send an email to somebody or, or maybe even actually get in your car <gasps> and go visit somebody. But I'd rather watch TV tonight. I've got something I've planned. Maybe God wants you to fast what you have planned and to do what he had planned. I mentioned last week that it was interesting, Lafayette Scales, when he was here, one, one of the nights he talked about the interesting fact that out of the 40 identifiable miracles that Jesus did, 38 of them came as interruptions to his schedule. They were not something he'd planned or a place he'd planned to be. They interrupted, and sometimes it was his rest they interrupted. 
But he was moved with compassion. 